Well, the name of the show is What Had Happened Was. <laughs> so I want you to say what had happened was and finish the sentence. What had happened was I was blessed with this little girl whose mom had breast cancer and I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And how should I finish that? I don't know. Maybe I need to start an amazing organization. That makes me want to cry. (laughs) Well, it should. How about you say it? No, I'm crying. crying. (sighs) What happened was I met a young mother who was dying of breast cancer. We were blessed with her daughter into our family. I was diagnosed with the same kind of breast cancer a year later. And from that, with a lot of healing, we have pink ribbon girls to ensure that no one travels this road alone. Hey there, this is Amelia Robinson from Dayton.com, and the voice you just heard was Heather Salazar from the Pink Ribbon Girls. I sat down with Heather and her friend Sarah Gillenwater, the Pink Ribbon Girls marketing director, for this very special episode of the What Had Happened Was podcast. October is, of course, Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and the Pink Ribbon Girls roll up their sleeves every single day to provide meals, housing, cleaning services, rides, and peer support for women fighting breast and certain other cancers, regardless of income. Heather shared how she watched her adopted daughter's 24-year-old mom die of breast cancer just a year before she was diagnosed with that same cancer herself. Heather told her family's amazing story about a year ago on Today with Megan Kelly. She shares the story and so much more on this podcast, including why hot meals and rides are are a far bigger deal than many of us think. The What Had Happened Was podcast is a product of Dayton.com, sponsored by Cox Digital Marketing. Let this trusted name in advertising help you find solutions for your digital needs. Rate this podcast and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, and wherever else you find your favorite shows. Now, here is my talk with Heather and Sarah from the Pink Ribbon Girls. So, how are you guys doing? Good. How are you? Living the dream every day in Dayton, Ohio. Yes, we are. Mm -hmm. I really do appreciate you coming here. I know October is like super duper busy for you. In a good way. No, Heather, you didn't found it, but you... Right. She found it for what it is today. The services that we provide, that came from Heather's dream. Right. So I was a social worker before this. That was my passion. I worked with inner city kids with reading and after school learning. And that was always my dream. So when I got breast cancer, I was honestly pretty mad. And we had just adopted our fourth child. So we have three biological kids and we adopted our fourth child, Lexi, because her mom was diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer and needed to find a home for her baby. So when that happened, taking her to treatment was very different. She didn't have support. She rode home from her mastectomy on the RTA bus. She had no way to get to treatment. And so we had her for an entire year, took her to treatment, got the care she needed, helped her with food, and she passed away in June. You said she was just 23, too. She was 24 when she died, 23 when I met her. And that's the thing, like a 23-year-old, you don't think that you're going to get breast cancer. No. Right. And she was, you know, raised in the foster care system. So she just didn't have that support. Just like saying that you rode home from a bus. Can you you imagine that, really? No, surgery. Like having surgery and riding home on a bus. Going through that was very eye-opening for me. And we took her to treatment right here in Dayton, Ohio. So she passed away in June. And a year later in November, so like 18 months later, I did a self-check because her mom was constantly like, you have to do a self-check. You can be young. And I I just didn't even know really young people could get breast cancer. I really didn't. How old were you? I was 31 when I was diagnosed. Okay. So I was diagnosed with the exact same kind of breast cancer as Lexi's mom. 
except for I was stage one and she was late stage, but I was ERPR negative, HER2 positive. So a very aggressive kind of breast cancer. I was 31. I would have been dead before a mammogram. If really? I didn't do a self-check. Wow. Well, yeah. 40. Well, yeah. Yeah. Because when they say you start at 40. Yeah. Yeah. Right. How did she find out about it? How did Alexis, because her name was Alexis. Yes. Good for you. Look at you. Yeah, I know. I ran up about <laughs> you. Mm. Did a little research, everybody. <laughs> Not just a pretty face. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Um, she was pregnant with Lexi. And went in for one of her prenatal checkups and her, you could see the actual, see the physical tumors in her breast. This is what she tells me. Okay. Alexis. And they tested her. So she was diagnosed while she was pregnant with Lexi. She had Lexi six weeks early, I think, so she could get started with the surgery and treatment. So before that, she was just a a young 23-year-old mom. mom. Was she in school or how'd you come in contact with her? That's a great question. So my mom's neighbor is a midwife that delivered Lexi. Oh, wow. And they said that she was looking for a home for her baby because she was very sick. So was she trying to give the baby up for adoption at that point, or was she just looking for somebody to help her? I think both. And in her mind, truthfully, she would tell me, even until she got very sick, Amelia, like, I am going to be here for her. And I'm like, you fight hard. You know what I mean? I think, and now going through cancer, you never want to think someone's going to give up on you. She wanted to have control over where Lexi went. She wanted to have a say in that. But her intention was was to keep her baby into. And when I met her, she was pretty sick. So at that okay. time, she was she signed over full legal custody. She was looking for someone to permanently take care of her, and we took care of Alexis too. But you weren't looking for a baby. You were looking for just to help out, right? Well, how did you decide that you were going to take a baby? I probably would still take a baby. Watch out, this money will take the baby. People. <laughs> my mom said. My mom always said, "I never brought home stray animals, just stray people." <laughs> So I had I said I, to my husband, he's like, Heather, Kara is one. That was our youngest at the time. Kara is 18 months old. I'm like, I know, but just meet her, just meet her. And so I think it would have been really hard to give her up. I mean, f- we went to visit her in the children's services little room for five weeks before she became legally ours. Wow. So when you say you took care of Alexis, what do you mean by that? Did you? So we got full legal custody of Lexi. Okay. And then we took her mom to treatment. Okay. So you were yeah. actually her family at that point taking her. We did. We tried to support her in the best way we knew how. It was a, it was very different. Um, and I was re- got really frustrated with her because she didn't want to always go. Mm-hmm. But after going through it, I wouldn't have wanted to always go. I mean, you know, I just was so naive to really the battles of breast cancer at the time. Well, here's the thing about it. I didn't know very much about breast cancer. I've written a million stories about breast yes, cancer. Yes, you have. And I've interviewed you before. Uh-huh. Until a friend of mine had it and then yeah. my mother-in-law had it. And my mother-in-law had lots of complications, and one of my best friends had lots and lots of complications. It's like until you see it, you don't know it. And it's kind of... And I'm just like, wow, think about if you had metastatic disease, which means you're on treatment for the rest of your life. You don't have a lot of support. Why would you want to get up and go to treatment every day? Right. It's hard. That's why October is like almost like a celebration of pink. I think people want to do something, but they don't know what they're doing something for. I think that truly knowing breast cancer and knowing the battles that our clients go through and these metastatic clients are going through makes you look beyond October and realize this is bigger than just one month. This is bigger than just pink ribbons and, um, you know, those fighter T-shirts everywhere. Yeah. And I think Dayton is so awesome. Like if you think about where we're serving, Dayton, Cincinnati, Columbus, and now St. Louis. Right. Dayton should not be just per capita and per... Businesses should not be our largest donor, but they are. 
they come around us. And I think all of these businesses and companies have always wanted to give. Now they just get so excited. If they give $10,000, they know that's like 1,800 meals that they provided. And I think they know where that money goes. And that's just where I think we've been really great here. To back up a little bit to Alexis. So, so a year after she died is when you found your I lump. found a lump. And it was on my anniversary. Oh, wow. February of 2005. Do you immediately know what it was? Or no. Did you- I was like, I'm sure it's fine. God wouldn't let me adopt this baby and have anything wrong with me. I wasn't even worried. Mm-hmm. I had my husband feel it, or I probably wouldn't even have gone to the doctor, honestly. So I just thought, kind of thought I was invincible. Which Well, you're being a third. Because you had all, like, all four. All four, all four kids of, at that point. Lexi's the youngest, right? You were a caseworker working every day? No, or? no. I was just working part-time. I did sometimes character development in public schools, and I, I really stayed home. I, w- I barely worked like 15 to 20 hours a week. Oh, really? Yeah. And you had breast cancer too, right? Yeah. I did not. No, you my did not. grandmother did. Did you know what breast cancer really was other than like... My grandmother was diagnosed when I was in eighth grade, and okay. she kept it very private. It was not something that you, for her, that she wanted to talk about or let people know that she had. She was embarrassed by it. And I think that is the case for a lot of people. They try to keep it very private. And I think that that is a way that we can come in and say, we're here to help you. We don't want you to have to go through it alone. I mean, our tagline is no one travels this road alone. Heather and I were also real close friends when she was diagnosed. Mm -hmm. Just watched her go through it as well. You know, when you like buy a new car and then you see that car everywhere, it's kind of the same thing. You have a friend that's diagnosed and then you find out about all of these other people that have had it or do have it and that you didn't even know about because they've kept it so private. So Sarah, what do you think that whole like embarrassment of it comes from? I think part of it is that people, you're afraid they aren't going to understand. It's also a very vulnerable part of your body that mm-hmm. you don't want to talk about. Um, you're, you're sick in your breasts, which is making the rest of your body sick. It's not just like having a heart attack. Um, and it's something that is, it's not a quick fix. I've Friends that have gone through other types of cancer as well. And I know, for one, her biggest fear was losing her hair. And she was like, I'm afraid to tell anybody else this, but that is my biggest fear, and it shouldn't be my biggest fear. There are so many elements of the unknown with it that they don't want to look weak, mm-hmm. appear weak. And that's the crazy thing is they these are some of the strongest people out there. Mm-hmm. Um, like blows me out of the water the strength the emotional and physical strength that so many of them have sarah and heather will let us know why they don't consider cancer part of god's plan in just a few minutes but first i wanted to remind you the what had happened was podcast is a product of dayton.com the website will be opening up the submission period for our annual best of dayton contest this monday november 5th submission period lasts until november 26th but get those submissions for your favorite Dayton people, places, businesses, and organizations and as quickly as possible. To name a few categories. We're looking for the best burger, best views, and the best restaurants. In all, there are 130 categories in the areas of food and dining, bars and nightlife, outdoors activity, lifestyle and recreation, shopping, services, culture, music, and entertainment. It is truly the people's best of Dayton. Voting starts December 5th and closes December 22nd. Now here's Sarah and Heather's take on God, faith, and cancer. They question their faith. They Mm -hmm. question why is this happening? God has a plan. Why was this God's plan for me? Mm -hmm. I mean, it it is hard. And those are questions we don't really know the answers to. We do try to stay away from the saying everything happens for a reason. We don't believe that 
you got cancer for a reason because you needed to get cancer. You got cancer because you got cancer and bad things happen. Right. But I think you do. A verse that I just held close to my heart was Romans 8, 28, that all things can work together for good. But I don't believe, like my pastor says it so well, like every if everything happens for a reason, like the God I serve wouldn't have like child sex slavery, this and that. You know what I mean? But I do think that you can push through and, and try to use it for good. Yes. Right. And that's kind of our goal. And that's what you think you did there, kind of push through? Yeah. yeah. Right. It was hard. And, and I just think about how much I've learned through it all. And it's still not easy. Growth growth in this and going through growing pains and and having people question as you grow and because we're give where you live so all the money that raised in each city stays in each city but I think as you grow people worry about that and being really clear on our message and our decision and I think that you never really have all the answers but I think choosing joy and choosing to push through is a choice but it doesn't mean it's easy because every day I thought my kids would see me die like I saw Alexis die Amelia it was the hardest thing you've ever seen in your life. A 24-year-old like that, I can still know exactly where I was at the hospital. One of my coping strategies is like for 15 minutes every day, I would allow myself to think that my kids could see me like that. And then I would just shut my brain off after that so I could try to enjoy the day. Because if not, it can consume you. What did you say to yourself to justify it? The fact that you had cancer. I mean, not to justify it. Justify is not the right word, but to rationalize it or to... I don't even know. I was like, of course, I begged to live. I begged to see my kids grow up. I, I'm thankful for every like soccer game I get to see, every graduation I get to see. But I don't know that I justified it. I mean, I was pretty angry for a while. And I think it's hard for people to realize because I'm really not an angry person overall. But I was pretty mad at the world. And I was mad that my kids had to see me like that. And I was also mad that clearly if I would have known I was going to get cancer, I wouldn't have taken them to watch Alexis get treatment, but I couldn't really afford a babysitter and that. So, you know, they were scared, of course. Yeah, because they saw what could happen. Yeah, yeah. And my oldest was 10, so he knew. I mean, we had just taken her, you know, the year before. I don't know that I ever um, rationalized that. I went to treatment with Stephanie Spielman at Ohio State, and she and I became really good friends. And right before we would have Herceptin together, and we would talk about, you know, they do all the things for research, and I always said I wanted to do the care side of things. And right before she died, so I was probably five years out then at least, she said, don't use my death as an excuse. You know what you're supposed to do. Write the grant. Try to figure it out. Well, so the, the grant was? Uh, f- the grant was for Pinkwell Foundation. Okay. And that was the first money we ever got to start the free direct services. So our entire budget was $100,000. And that was six and a half years ago. We wrote to the Pinkwell Foundation. He was a billionaire oil guy out of Texas. And he was going to announce it on the Ellen Show. Mm-hmm. And he was only giving one grant per state. And we shouldn't have got the grant. You know, in the grant world, you don't get a grant unless you have money in a system. But he was a businessman. And so he announced us there. And then we got wow. it was matched by a local family foundation. Wow. So maybe she was somewhere trying to, you know, pushing know. it through. I know, right? Miracle. I yeah. know. Because I mean, I think I had to write it in 48 hours because, mm-hmm. it, you know, I, of course, wasn't sure if I was going to do it. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So she was telling you, don't let my death be an excuse for you to right. stop. Because I kind of wanted to quit the pink mm-hmm. ribbon, right? The pink ribbon had hurt a lot, a lot of me. And then took her away from her kids and and all of that. So, yeah. And so now, though, when you're, like, helping these women, because some of them don't make it. Yeah, you're right. How do you get through that? Like, how do you? It's not easy. We have one that we've served for five years right now in Centerville, and she's not doing well. And she has three little kids, and it's hard. And one minute, I'm so mad, right? And the next minute, I was like, we were there for her for four years, and I'm going to keep fighting for that because she had us. And that's a strength right there that I don't know a lot of people would have because a lot of people would say this is like a a battle that you're not, you know, you can't Mm -hmm. win. You can't cure everybody's cancer. You can't. Mm -hmm. And you see these people who you grow attached to die and Mm -hmm. everything else. So that would be like extremely hard. It is hard. 60% of the women that we serve currently have metastatic cancer, which means this is 
they will die of breast cancer. They, they're the end of their treatment will be the, you know, the last day that they needed it. And that is, it is not easy. It's not easy. One of the first person people we served that passed away like four years ago, I think. So I got to the viewing. That's the worst. You go to a lot of funerals. I got to the viewing and her daughter was six at the time. And she's like, Heather, come here, come here. Look at this picture. Look at this picture. This is Jesus holding my mom's hand. Oh, wow. And I was like sobbing. And I was just like, she was so happy because her mom had like given her that peace, I think. And the last year she got, she didn't cook one time. So the fact that we could give that to her, but it doesn't make it any easier. And like our drivers, I need to give a huge shout out to our drivers because they drive them to treatment and they grow close to them. And they're the first person when it's good news. And they're the first person when it's really bad news. And these drivers are retired, either survivors or affected by breast cancer one way or the other. And they love these people. You know, clearly it's not a lucrative position and they go to funerals. Mm. Yeah. Sean Egbert is uh, someone that we served and she came on staff this year as a driver and she's amazing because she can empathize with them she can help counsel i mean she's not professional counselor but man that woman can sprinkle her sugar Mm -hmm. and (laughs) be right there with them because she knows and she gets it see when you say that you guys give people meals Uh it sounds like okay that's nice but Uh i don't think people understand what it means to actually not be able to cook for your family Uh, when when my our friend was sick last year we had a food chain. Uh-huh. And I know the, how much that meant to her because mm-hmm. she could not have done it without that. It's right. like, it Is she doing okay now? Oh, yeah. She has a brand new tattoo. It's <laughs> <laughs> always the first demo. Yeah. Um, that's true. Yeah. And so I think what happens is when you're early stage, right? And this is something we didn't account for when we started. Meaning we thought, I thought seven out of 10 people we would serve. I thought at least 70% would be one, two, or three. Stage one, two, or three. And I think people get together, right? But can you imagine if your friend was still fighting two years, three years later, you go on with your life and the people start kind of dropping off. And so that's where we've just been a huge blessing and they're a huge blessing to us. And it seems to me you're doing the same thing with for these women that you were doing for Alexis where they didn't have that extra support system Mm -hmm. to kind of spring into there. Yeah, Yeah, but I bet you 50% of the people we serve are above income level it's oh, really? like their transplants because we're not income based so if you're at the base you know if you work at right path okay. or you work with maybe lexus nexus you might not have a lot of family that lives here and so a lot of the people that we take to radiation like maybe your spouse or your partner can take off to take you to chemo but radiation's five days a week for six weeks so a lot of those people are just like you and me and so that was very important to me that we were not income based because i probably wouldn't have qualified for four kids but there, there's things that i could have used and my friends and family around the city where i lived just came around me and would come in get the laundry basket of towels come out you know things like that what did you do how did you get through did you just um did like people like sarah are they the ones yeah. who did it for you yeah oh yeah it was a huge group of people and they were really great to me and they brought meals for like six months i mean six months but not everybody has that. Eventually no. the meals mm-hmm. end. And so we do have people that are referred to us that are like, my friends and family have it. They're right. going to be. And then we hear from them a month later. Okay, I actually do need it now, which is 
great. I'm glad that your friends and family can take a break and we can step in. Right. That's, that's the time that we can say, okay, so we'll take it from here and let's see what we can offer you. And another thing is you don't ever, you would never tell your friend you don't want their food, right? But sometimes they're trying to eat healthier <laughs> right. and the meals are healthier, more healthy in nutrients. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times they're really into that as well. Like if they're vegetarian or gluten-free, the shelf can create them. And you know, it's a chef right out of Centerville. Scratch event catering. Yes. So he does all of our meals and they're amazing. And so I think people love that too. Yeah, it's great that you have a, a local chef that you're right. working with. Yeah. Instead of so, a, I mean, we're averaging basically about 1,750 meals a week. And that's where the money comes from as far as what people give you to pay for cover those costs of those it meals. It pays for meals, house cleaning, and rides to treatment, all of that. And our, our administrative <laughs> costs are 10%, 10 to 15%. So, Sarah, why are you doing this? I mean, like, she had this intimate reason to do it. Why are you doing it? What were you doing before? I was, uh, that's funny. When Heather started this, I was did her first brochure for her, designed Mm -hmm. her first brochure. She said, this is what I'm going to do, and I'm going to join as a partner underneath this already existing nonprofit, but I want it to be different, and I'm going to offer these services, and then we're going to both offer these services, and I want you to design the brochure. So I've been with her since day one. Mm -hmm. We sat at her kitchen table and designed, talked about, and dreamed, and, Mm -hmm. you know, when I had a lot of work for her to do, she would watch my babies. Yeah. <laughs> it is near and dear to my heart. Not only does did my grandmother have breast cancer, my friend sitting next to me had breast cancer. I've been touched by cancer in many, many ways. I see the benefits that it produces and the hope that it produces, and that is key to me. I will never not be involved in this organization, like never not be involved in this organization. They are this city has hope largely because of pink ribbon girls the hospitals can offer hope largely because of pink ribbon girls to these clients and i think you are hard pressed to meet someone in the dayton area that has not at least heard the words pink ribbon girls i mean who wouldn't want to be involved in such a contagious community that is putting money to work not just raising money for awareness but we actually put it into action yeah why is that? Why do you think this is a city that has embraced you guys so much? It's where we live, probably. I, I, <laughs> you I just go around that, stealing people's babies and they're yeah. like, yeah. stop her. <laughs> Give her some money. That and Dayton, this might sound bad, but I'm not saying it to be in a negative way. Dayton is the city of underdogs. Yeah, I love that. And don't we all just want the underdog to win? When the underdogs have other underdogs helping them. That's what makes it successful and blossom and grow. It's full of hidden corporations that are bigger than what we know. And it's full of hidden blue-collar workers that just are so much more generous than we give them credit for. You can hide in a big city like Cincinnati or Columbus easier than you can in Dayton when, you know, Dayton's very much, we're all fighters here. Mm -hmm. And explain this whole St. Louis thing. I mean, that's kind of a... Is random. Random. Like St. Louis? I mean, you got Cincinnati and Dayton makes sense. Uh, but St. Louis is kind of... Yeah. Well, we, after the Today Show, I was able to meet someone that's working on some software, artificial intelligence software for mammography. And one of the leading radiologists works at WashU in St. Louis. And after she and I met, she said, I will do everything in my power to bring this here for my patients. So that's where we're at. Wow. So it's brand new. Yes. It's going to be set up the same way. Yeah. Oh, yes. So everything will run out of Ohio. 
You'll, the call center is out of Ohio. The patient coordinators are out of Ohio. And then each city will have a regional director. And they do in Dayton and Columbus. And each city will have a regional director. And that person is like the liaison with the hospitals and the clients. And then also the fundraiser. Do you ever see a point where you won't need this group or you won't? I hope. I mean, I, w- I would hope there's a cure in my lifetime and we're out of business. I mean, that's our goal. We say it all the time. We're not in this for life. We're in it until they find a cure. Um, and there aren't people to serve. And I do feel like we have made huge strides in breast cancer. I know a lot of people say, you know, we haven't done as well as we need to do in metastatic breast cancer, but in early stage breast cancer and preventative, I do think we've made huge strides. I think more money needs to go to metastatic breast cancer so that you can contain it like a diabetes or something like that. But we're not there yet. You think it's close though? I hope. I feel like, you know, I'm in the forefront of it. And the funny thing is, is it's a pretty small community overall. nationally. I've met some pretty amazing researchers out of Silicon Valley and San Francisco that are working on these drugs and they see improvement, but they are definitely still making more strides, I would say, in early stage. So they've been able to get to stage three sometimes and not have it reoccur. I still think we need a little bit more with triple negative. We don't have the right drugs. Triple negative is the most aggressive and we don't have the right drugs to stop it. What do you tell your kids now? What do you tell Lexi or your other? They always ask. They know a lot. And I think sometimes I've questioned that like, have, do they have they have too much on their plate for their age? Like if someone's if I was like my friend Amelia was diagnosed. If I said that to them immediately, they would say, "What stage is it? Estrogen positive? Is it her too? Is it triple negative?" Like they know all of that. Because literally, like we went to the appointment with our with our friend Chris and, and she had her little notebook. She's a former reporter, so she's like, "Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> flip, 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 right, right." And I'm like, "Her too? What is her too? Let me go back into my brain right. to remember what that even is. All these like terms and right. the negatives and the this and the that it must be." So now I I think I mean I'll let you know in five years if they need therapy, but <laughs> I think <laughs> I think they think life is precious. That you have to enjoy it every time. I think they would all agree that these families are so worth knowing because they've they've grown us and blessed us in a way that no one else could. You know what? Um, so the Megan Kelly thing, mm-hmm. she kind of wrapped it up with a little bow because you know it's a story that she's telling, and it's like, well, this happened because of this, and mm-hmm. you know, this was like almost like a this was supposed to happen. It's, well, how do you how do you do it? Like, do you think it's like the I story think of your mom saved my life? Okay. I don't think I would have done a self-breast check. This is making me pretty vulnerable, but I think I didn't understand why she got it. And I don't think I thought it was more like um, environmental or lifestyle, which had nothing to do with it at all. Clearly, it's not biased, prejudiced, as we all know. I also think seeing her go through it, I wish I could have been more of an advocate. I don't think I understood after she went through it. I am a firm believer in second opinions. I'm a firm believer in research, you know, and things like that. I think it's pretty awesome and sad at the same time that I have a, both daughters, right? They have to worry about breast cancer, but yet they can lean on each other. I mean, Lexi's mom was 22 at the first diagnosis. So Lexi already has to get checked out. So she she, was 22. My gosh. Right. So you're supposed to get checked out 10 years before your mom. You know, when they first going, started going through puberty, they said, I think I have breast cancer. Like they were scared. Like that was very sad and hard for me. But I think that, um, I think that is a part of our story. And, I can't imagine life without Lexi. And we're so much more sensitive all the way around, right? In in growing through those things as a family with being different cultures, right? Different race, figuring out what that's like. That's a very unique story you have there mm-hmm. of life. What do you want people to know about Pink Ribbon Girls that they probably don't know? I want them to know that sometimes it looks like everybody in the whole entire city is supporting us. 
and and sometimes they are, but we're serving double what we served last year. So their support means the world to us, and I can never imagine turning someone away, and I refuse to do that. So we need that support to keep on coming. I want them to know there's no stigma, which I feel like we've gotten there in Dayton. They don't really care. We have tons of people use our services, oncologist wives, lawyers' wives. That's important to me. I want them to feel like it's for everybody, and I want them to know that we care about them and that we want to make sure they feel supported. That stigma is that I shouldn't be asking for support. Or like the first thing they always say is, I don't deserve this. Someone else needs it more, mm-hmm. even though they're really sick. That's interesting. Is that, I don't know if that's a woman thing or that's a... I think it's both. I yeah. mean, I, I thought I was having a heart attack after I was diagnosed. I didn't know what anxiety was when I was getting ready to have surgery, knowing like all my friends were in my house. It was the nicest thing ever, right? But I was sick and didn't know I was sick. And so... I think immediately, you know, are like, what are these people going to think of me? My house is a mess or they think I need groceries or they think I need this. But it was so humbling. And it guess what? This is another thing I think is important. People want to help and you need to let them help because you can't do it all. And they feel so sad that they can't control your disease. But it's a blessing to them when you let them help, too. I had some health issues. and I'm like, I can do it. Right. One time I was out like I had a hysterectomy and I'm uh-huh. out in the backyard trying to. Yeah, right. <laughs> Right. And my friends say, sit down, idiot. You know, right. we'll close your your garden for the season. Right. It's like right. stupid stuff like that because you feel like you have to you have to be it strong Superman. and be one, super woman and you have to like be fierce and tough, but you really well, don't have I think, to. I think that's a message to people that want to step into that caregiver role as well. I mean, we talked to a, one of our client in Centerville who's not doing well. And, you know, she said, stop asking me if I need anything. Just freaking show up. I'll tell you if I don't want to be want you there. I'll let you know if I don't have the space for you. But don't ask me if I need anything. I'm not going to tell you if I will right. or not. Just freaking show up and do it. And ask the question. When I was visiting with a before our event, um, one of my friends that was with us said, I would have never asked those questions. And I'm like, but the elephant's in the room. They want you to ask and they want you to show up. Sarah's right. I mean, they want you to show up. Showing up is the best thing. Even if you say something that you think is inappropriate or offended them, they really don't care if you showed up. Yeah, it's better than than ignoring that it's happening. Right. And so many people go away. They talk about that all the time. You get breast cancer. There will be one friend that you didn't expect to be there and four friends that you expected to be there that never show up. That's interesting. Yeah, you really you really learn a lot about people. Yeah, you do. You and them. you know that just from yeah, yeah any I'm, kind of illness. And yeah, I had like 70 that. tumors and it was just like, right. you know, I needed friends and the friends that I needed were thankfully there for right. me. Yeah, yeah. Weird, weird stuff happens. The body is weird. Uh huh. You, you're right. You can't just go. Well, this happened because of this. Right. It happened because it happened. Right. So, what is it like October for, for Pink Ribbon Girls? Oh, <laughs> October is when everyone comes out of the woodwork wanting to do a fundraiser, which we're super grateful for. But it makes it a hectic month for sure. Would you rather people like spread it out and like? come to you in November or actually during October we ran a campaign called more than 31 days trying to remind people that there are women that actually deal with breast cancer 365 days a year and it's not just October for us so while we're really appreciative we're also super appreciative of those people that look outside of the pink month to help raise funds for us right work this year we were super excited about October because we've served so many people so last year by the end of August we served 40,000 meals this year by the end of August we were almost at 70,000 meals so we really needed that funding to keep going. We serve so many metastatic patients and to serve them cost more money because they're on the treatment for the rest of their life and we want to be there for them the rest of their lives. Well, thanks a lot for coming in here. I really appreciate it. Well, we are happy to be here. Yes, we are. And you almost made me cry too. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, but... <sighs>
Now, aren't Heather and Sarah true Dayton gems? Find out more about the Pink Ribbon Girls on their website, pinkribbongirls.org. Breast Cancer Awareness Month is just about a wrap, but the Pink Ribbon Girls still need your support to provide meals, rides, house cleaning services, and peer support to the women they serve all year round. The What Happened Was podcast is produced by me, Amelia Robinson, and the WHIL Radio Studios. The show's artwork is by my friend Troy Liming of TL Creates of Columbus. Ladies, don't forget to do your self-breast checks every single month and to take your health seriously. There's only one you. I'm going to see you alligators and crocodiles later. Have a great week.